This is the Impact Report. I'm your host, Katie Elman. The Impact Report brings together students and faculty in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, social entrepreneurship, and more. These conversations go live the first and third Friday of each month. This week, Bard MBA's Rachel Terry speaks with Steve Lohr, President and CEO of J. Lohr Vineyards and Wines. Well, Steve, thank you so much for joining. Really excited to dive into this conversation with you and learn more about J. Lohr Vineyards and Wines, your operations, and how sustainability gets embedded into your work. Um, so to kick things off, we know that California is the largest producer of wine in the United States, producing over 84% of all U.S. wine. In 2019, California wine sales reached a staggering $43.6 billion in the United States. And with a portfolio of 35 wines totaling 1.7 million cases, California's J. Lore Vineyards and Wines is one of the larger operations in California and a major player in the U.S. wine market. We are so thrilled to have you here today, Steve, President and CEO of J. Lore Wines on the Impact Report. Thanks, Rachel. First question, we know that J. Lore Vineyards and Wines is headquartered in San Jose, California, with almost 4,000 acres of estate vineyards in Paso Robles, Monterey County, and the Napa Valley. Would love to hear from you uh, a bit about the history of J. Lore and the types of wine that you produce. Yeah, so Rachel, uh, it all starts with my father, Jerry Lore, and he grew up on a farm in South Dakota. Um, he had a bad case of hay fever growing up, so his dad said, hey, you know, go out and get an education. You can always come back to the farm if you want. And so he decided to go ahead and get his undergraduate degree in civil engineering at South Dakota State and then um, came out to California uh, for his graduate degree. Uh, fortunately, that's where he met mom. Um, mom grew up in New York, uh, so not far away from where you guys are, and back on Long Island, and uh, they both met at Stanford. And so dad started in the early 60s in what would become Silicon Valley, before it was Silicon Valley, designing and building custom homes. And he saw that uh, whereas there was lots of opportunity in building custom homes, um, the business environment was changing at that time. And now getting into the late 60s, where instead of taking just 20 minutes to get your building permit, once you submit your plans, it was suddenly taking two weeks. And uh, then not much longer, it was taking up to two months. And of course we laugh now because it can take two years to get a building permit to build a new home. But um, he and his building partner who was French Canadian, a fellow named Bernie Turgeon, uh, thought, well, you know, it might not be a bad idea to diversify. And with dad's uh, history of growing things and Bernie being French Canadian had a history of drinking things, uh, they decided, you know, what better thing could they do to take advantage of the opportunities here in California than to plant some vineyards. So in 1972, we planted our first 280 acres of vineyards in Monterey County. 
uh, Monterey County, for those of you who aren't familiar with California geography, that'd be about two and a half hours south of San Francisco. And um, just to give you kind of a brief history from there, um, we planted those 280 acres and I was actually 10 years old at the time, so I was there to help dad plant those first vineyards. Um, <clears throat> we planted 11 different varieties, varieties we knew would do well like Chardonnay and Riesling because um, our friends, the Mirasus and Wente um, family were also um, doing well with those varieties, but we also planted some Cabernet Sauvignon, some Merlot, even Petite Syrah, um, because we were told that it may be a little cool in that area, but you should get some good color and flavor. Well, the cool part was right. <laughs> Monterey is pretty cool. And the problem was it was too cool to properly ripen the big reds. Um, but in 1970s California, that was de rigueur. Uh, even in Napa Valley, they were planting Cabernet and Chardonnay side by side. Um, within five years, we realized we made a huge mistake. The Chardonnay and the Riesling, um, the Pinot Blanc even were fantastic. But the Cabernet and Merlot, not so much. Um, we'd got lots of bell pepper, asparagus flavors, and that's great for your salad, but terrible for your wine. So we decided to go for a sure thing, um, which is Napa Valley. And in 1984, we purchased an existing vineyard right in St. Helena. And um, we call that Carol's Vineyard, named after our mom. Um, but we didn't want to be a little fish in uh, the big pond that is Napa Valley. And since the late 70s, we've been trying some of the Cabernets coming out of Paso Robles. And we thought, wow, these grapes, this Cabernet in particular, fruit forward, soft to medium tannin, goes perfectly with food. This is the style we want to go forward with. So in 1986, we started um, planting grapes in Pas Robles and have never looked back. We've been planting almost every year since then and uh, continue to uh, grow grapes and make wine in Paso Robles for the Bordeaux and Rhone varieties, both red and white. Um, Monterey County, um, where we have cool climate varieties, the Burgundian varieties, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, uh, as well as uh, Riesling, and a very rare French red called Valdiguier. It's like Gamay Beaujolais. Um, and then up in Napa Valley, St. Helena, Cabernet is king, so we have Cabernet Sauvignon and Petit Verdot. Wow, what a what a beautiful and rich history! Thank you, thank you for sharing it. I'm I'm very thirsty after <laughs> after hearing all of that. Um, but thank you, yeah, and to hear about your family story, how you got connected to the land, and just the diversity of wines that you now grow and produce. It's it's really exciting. Um, can you share a little bit more about the size and the scale of your operations? how many employees you, you currently um, employ and kind of where you sit in the market? Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> we have uh, 200 employees in our winery. We have three wineries. Our headquarters winery and original winery being in downtown San Jose. Uh, that's where we do all of our bottling right now and, and finishing. That's where we have our warehouse, 
Uh, it's where we have our corporate staff uh, headquarters. Um, Monterey County, in a little town called Greenfield, right in the midst of our cool climate vineyards, we have our white winery. And then in Paso Robles, uh, amidst our uh, primarily red grape vineyards there, we have our red winery. So um, yeah, 1.7, even 1.8 million cases now, a little over 20 million bottles a year. Uh, we've been very fortunate. Amazing, thank you. Now shifting a little bit to your role within the operation, I would love to hear a little bit about what your day-to-day -day looks like as the president and CEO. And you mentioned your, you know, your background in, in building custom homes and just kind of how, how that might fit into the production and the operations of wine um, in your in your day-to-day -day in this current role. Yeah, you bet, Rachel. So <clears throat> what I like about my day-to-day -day is that it varies tremendously every single day. Um, in my position, I oversee pretty much all aspects of the winery. Um, I'm fortunate to also have family members who are heavily involved. Uh, Father Jerry Lohr is our CFO for the winery and also president of our vineyards. I have my sister, Cynthia, who's our chief brand officer. Uh, so she heads up marketing and telling the story, if you will. Um, my brother, Lawrence, is our COO of our vineyards. So we're a completely vertically integrated operation. Um, my day-to-day -day involves anything from financing to sales, to getting out in the vineyards to see what's going on with the crop, do we need to thin? Do we need to irrigate more or less, as the case is with sustainability? Always trying to do less with more, or I should say more with less uh, water. And in this case, more, um, more wine, better quality wine with fewer inputs. Um, also, you know, getting out and sharing the story with people, whether that's out at tastings, um, it can be uh, also governmental stuff, um, advocacy. So I've been chairman of Wine Institute, which is the public policy and um, uh, lobbying organization for California wineries. Um, I've also been chairman of the Paso Robles Wine Country Alliance, which advocates for our 270 wineries in Paso Robles and associated growers. Um, also have chaired the California Sustainable Wine Growing Alliance and still on the board of both the, what we call the CSWA and Wine Institute. So it's a tremendously interesting and varied um, proposition for me on, on a day-to-day -day basis. Really love it. Yeah, it sounds very dynamic and you wear a lot of hats. Must, must be a lot of fun. <laughs> it is. Um, so now shifting to our conversation around sustainability and how that shows up for you all. Um, you know, we know it's been well reported that climate change is impacting the wine industry from wildfires to water shortages and the effect that that has on grape chemistry and ultimate taste. So how is JLOR working to mitigate these impacts, both to ensure the survival of your company and your work and also the environment in which you live and grow? Yeah, yeah, so crucial. Um, <clears throat> you know, sustainability is something that's always been part of what we do at JLOR. Um, going right back to our founding in, in the 1970s, when it was most 
is common to either flood irrigate or sprinkler irrigate, uh, we chose to do a new technology at the time, and that is drip irrigate. Uh, brand new technology, 50 years ago now, uh, actually from the Israelis, who, similar to California, have a very arid climate, but look to um, obviously be as productive as, as possible. So uh, right from the get-go, we were looking at ways to use less water. And uh, then in the early 2000s, um, we actually helped to found the California Sustainable Wine Growing Alliance. Um, Father Jerry was um, part of a group called Wine Vision, which was predominantly about getting the American public into drinking wine more and appreciating how wine in moderation goes well with meals and, and such, but also it, would, um, it helped to bring about the discussion of sustainability. Um, there were other groups as well, um, Lodi Rules, which is a group out of Lodi, um, just east of San Francisco, that was also uh, forming at that time. And uh, Things that we've been doing at J. Lore in particular um, involve uh, like solar. Um, so when I was at Stanford, and this goes back to the, the 80s, I had a great civil engineering professor um, named Gil Masters. And he had this book called Other Homes and Garbage. And it was all about ways to look at um, building homes, siting homes, so that you can use more of the sun's energy to naturally heat, but at the same time protect it so you don't need to use as much air conditioning. Uh, certainly recycling was a huge element, but photovoltaics were also part of the discussion at that time. And in the 80s, photovoltaics, or simply solar cells as we think of them today, um, they were an interesting idea, but they weren't really economic. And then we were hosting at our Pasarobles winery an energy conservation workshop back in 2007 with our local utility, Pacific Gas and Electric. And I uh, got to thinking, you know, we have 320 days of sunshine per year in Paso. Um, during the summer, it easily gets to be 95 to 100 degrees. And quite frankly, we use a lot of energy to keep our barrel rooms cool, our tanks um, cool and everything. So started to look into what it would take to do uh, a solar field. And in the end, decided to do a solar tracking array. Solar tracking is where the panels start facing the east in the morning. And then as the sun goes through the rotation in the sky each day, the panels follow the sun. So you're 15% more efficient than a fixed tracking array. As a result, uh, I decided to go ahead and put in uh, what would become, and to my knowledge still is, the largest solar tracking array of any winery in North America. So it powers um, between 75 and 85% of all of our electrical needs for our Passerobles winery and tasting room. Um, other things we do involve water. Um, here in California, uh, water is so important. I know you guys get a lot of it on the East Coast, but we don't get enough here on the West. And it's kind of like that you know, famous phrase from Mark Twain, um, 
whiskeys for drinking and waters for fighting over. And so um, we are always looking at ways to use less water, both in the winery and in the vineyards. And for instance, back in 2003, when we really started tracking our winery wastewater use or winery water use becoming wastewater, at the time, it was very um, typical for a winery to use about five to seven gallons of water uh, on the way to making one gallon of wine. Well, <clears throat> we started off with some great efficiencies um, by just using high pressure, low flow nozzles, changing behavior, you know, simple things like don't use water to um, clean up that wine spill or those grapes that are on the ground, use a squeegee, um, take a look at how much time it really takes to wash out a barrel um, and such. So we were able to cut our water usage to just 3.5 gallons of water to make a gallon of wine. And within about six to seven years, we got it down to about 1.3 to 1.5 gallons of water to wow. make one gallon. So it's almost Jesus, but not quite. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. And to hear about it, really the leadership role, it seems like you've taken in, in embedding these environmental practices into your operations. What role have you all played in maybe sharing some of these best practices with others in the wine industry? Yeah, well, quite a bit, actually. <clears throat> After all, you know, wine is one of those things that's really half science and half art and best are both when they're shared. So um, we've taken a lot of the things that we've done um, and, and helped fund other initiatives. For instance, um, there is a process where you can um, take a look at how much water is escaping your, your vineyards. It's called surface renewal. And you can take looks like a weather station, but what it's doing is measuring the air eddies and how much water is trapped in those eddies. So across about a five acre area, you can determine not only how much water is leaving your vine, but how much is leaving the cover crop, how much is leaving the area underneath the vine. So you get a holistic approach. You also do other things such as um, what we call pressure bombs, uh, whereby you can go ahead and take a look at how much water the vine actually needs, rather than just using soil moisture meters, which you know a lot of people still use, and, and that's perfectly fine, but it tells you how much water is in the soil. Pressure bombs, which very simply, you take off a leaf, with the associated stem of the leaf, you put that leaf in a pressure chamber. Uh, it's like a cylinder, think of like a piston or something. And then you have that little stem just coming out of the top of that chamber. You pressurize the chamber. And once you start to see just the tiniest little bit of water coming out of the end of that stem, that tells you stop. And then you measure how many atmospheres of pressure it took to develop that little tiny drop of water. Well, the nice thing is that um, this way, we don't give the vine any more water than it absolutely needs. And that's important for two things. One, sustainability. We're not just putting on more water because we think the vine needs it. We're 
only putting on because we know it needs it. And by keeping it on the edge of stress, you know, unlike a vegetable, uh, most vegetables you want to keep nicely hydrated. Grapes actually do best and will produce the best wine when they're under stress. So it's finding that balance between stressing it for quality and sustainability and stressing it so hard you wind up killing it or, or hurting your crop. It's really fun to find that balance and, and perfect um, uh, kind of teeter-totter, if you will. The Bard MBA program is now accepting proposals for client projects for our NYC Lab Consulting course. In this year-long class, teams of Bard MBA students solve sustainability challenges for real-world clients under the guidance of Professor Laura Gitman, Chief Operating Officer of BSR. Past clients include NASDAQ, Etsy, Medgar Evers College, Unilever, Just Salad, Thinks, Cliff Bar, and more. Proposals are due July 8th and are welcome from companies and organizations of all sizes. Find more information at gps.bard.edu slash academics slash NYC lab. Technologies and, and the practices that you're embedding into your work and kind of that balance of sustainability and then also the, the ultimate product that you're delivering. It's, it definitely is exciting to hear about what you're utilizing and um, where, where sustainability can naturally embed itself into that work. So thank you for sharing all of that. Sure. Shifting a little bit, um, we know that JLOR Vineyards and Wines was named the 2020 recipient of the Green Medal Leader Award. The annual California Green Metal Sustainable Wine Growing Awards provide recognition to vineyards and wineries who are standard bearers in implementing the three E's of sustainability, environment, economic, and social equity. We've been talking a lot about your work on the environmental side, and I would love to learn more about how you embed social equity into your operations. Mm -hmm. So social equity is, is extremely important. Um, Yes, we've spoken about the environment, and that's the part that most people think of when they think of sustainability is the environment. But there are two other E's involved, social equity and economics. And the social equity part can be um, how you treat your employees, how you, how you treat your community. So for instance, let's take a look at our employees. Uh, we really value having people with us for years, many years, even decades. And uh, we're very fortunate, say in our vineyards where we have 60 full-time people, um, a good number of them, uh, I would say the majority are with it, have been with us now for over 15, 20 um, plus years. And similarly in the winery, uh, key positions typically are well over a decade, if not two or three decades uh, with us. So it's how you treat people. It's the culture. Do you provide a culture which motivates um, in a friendly way, uh, inspires? Um, are you providing leadership and allowing them to show leadership to their teams and then having them get involved in other committees. Um, so whereas I've been involved with the California Sustainable Wine Growing Alliance um, uh, since 2010, um, we have other folks who've um, been with 
um, vineyard team, uh, which does a complementary sustainability program called Sustainability in, in Practice. And um, then we also uh, look for ways to support the community, um, getting back to uh, the environmental aspect and water, which is so crucial. We're looking at ways to take recycled water from the city of Paz Robles and blend it with fresh rain, rainwater from Lake Nacimiento so that um, we as growers and growers in our community can eventually use this blended water so that we're not taking so much from the aquifer below. Um, getting out to the larger community, um, maybe on a national level. Um, unfortunately, we lost our mom, Carol, to breast cancer in 2008. And so we thought, mm, what can we do to help other women avoid what happened to mom? And so we take uh, $3 from every bottle of Carol's Vineyard Cabernet Sauvignon from our vineyard right in St. Helena and donate those funds to the National Breast Cancer Foundation so that women in need who would not be able to afford to get a mammogram are able to do so. And uh, since we instituted that program um, back in 2009, uh, we've been able to help 8,500 women in need around the country get free mammograms and also patient navigation services which help you once you get that uh, diagnosis and you think, oh my gosh, what's gonna happen to me now? What do I do? Where do I go? These patient navigation services can literally take your hand and lead you in the path to recovery. Wow. So social equity shows up for you all in, in multiple ways, it seems, from, from your staff to your community to some other you know, really meaningful engagements. And I'm sorry to hear about your mother but it sounds like you all have been doing some really powerful work to support great cause. How, you know, we, we, we mentioned that economic is another E um, in the three E's of sustainability. How do you see this commitment to social equity supporting the economic viability of your business? Great question, Rachel. You know, there's a direct tie-in there because when you have an environment where you have people who, you know, appreciate doing what they're doing and not only appreciate it, enjoy it um, and stay, that makes things so much more efficient because one of the things about wine grape growing is that it's probably the most technically advanced type of farming you can possibly do. Um, makes it very challenging, but challenging in a very fun way. And it literally takes a generation to really get to be an expert in this. It's not something you can master in a few years because quite frankly, you don't get a chance to make um, wine you know, every day or every week. You get one chance a year. So you've got to do it right. And the amount of knowledge that you get from all of the different ways to irrigate, to prune, to affect your light environment on, on the vines, to uh, what kind of yeast you may use. If you're not doing natural yeast, which quite a few of our uh, wines, we also do natural yeast fermentation. 
but all the different things you can do to affect the overall flavor profile and ultimate quality of the wine, that takes people who, one, understand your terroir, and terroir is simply your environment and what nature is giving to you, essentially. Uh, there's a little debate as to whether the man-made or person-made um, part of that can be included in terroir or if it's strictly nature. I would say you can include the, um, the human element as well. Um, but it's understanding all of that and by treating your people well and valuing their contributions, you're going to be that much better in um, coming up with a better grape with a better bottle of wine. Thank you. Yeah, you know, it's 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 your land, and it sounds like your people are really the heartbeat of what make makes your operations and work possible. So appreciate you sharing all of that. So we've talked a lot about all of the great work that you all are doing in sustainability, both environmental, social, um, and economic. And I recognize that it's probably not all easy. So would love to also understand a bit what are some of the biggest challenges in your work in really committing and embedding sustainability into your operations. Well, you know, maybe a decade ago, um, I would have said it would be just to get people fully on board with sustainability, not so much within our company. I mean, they're motivated right from, from the get-go. Um, but I would say, you know, community members or just the general public to understand how important it is to use less water um, or you know, something that's important for all of us around the country, even if you have plenty of water, is use less energy. You know, don't leave your lights on at home. Simple things like that. Um, buy more efficient uh, cars. Maybe go electric if you have that option or a hybrid or, or what have you. Um, but today, um, most people, I think, have a heart for sustainability. So uh, I think today it's more about really, um, in particular, water. Uh, water in the West and in California in particular is a huge deal. Uh, you mentioned earlier, Rachel, about the wildfires that we've been experiencing. That's partly due to climate change. Um, and there's no doubt it's happening. Uh, we see it in our vineyards um, as a very good indicator of what's going on. Lots of things we do, for instance, um, shading our our uh, canopies to uh, decrease the amount of sun that hits our vines is, is one experiment. But um, water and everything you can do to use less of it because we've been having a drought, which except for a couple of years of interruption a few years ago has been going on for about a decade now. And uh, don't know that it's going to be getting that much better. So we all have to learn to do more with less and um, uh, be much more thoughtful in our water consumption. Thank you. And it sounds like you all are already doing so much to address that and, and sharing it with others, which is great. But yeah, the, the realities of what you're seeing in California from climate change and fires and droughts, it's, it's, it's real for your operations and, and for the people who live there. So thank you for everything that you are doing to address that and I'm excited to see how you continue to lead with, with some of those great innovations. So 
anything else that you'd like to leave us with or thing, anything I've missed that you're, that you're hoping to share? Oh gosh, Rachel, you've done such a nice <laughs> job of hitting so many points. Um, you know, I would just say for all of your listeners, um, think about what you can do uh, on a daily basis to um, help your sustainability within your own life or your family, your community. Um, in fact, right now at JLOR, we have a campaign going on. It's called Take the Pledge. And it's um, kind of furtherance of our uh, trademark um, uh, slogan, if you will, which is respecting nature, nurturing balance. And what we're asking people to do is take a look at how you might use less water, less energy, uh, repurpose, reuse, recycle, um, volunteer for community, take a pledge, um, join us and make a difference in your community. And then when you can, um, if you're buying wine, look to see if they also uh, have as much of a um, focus on sustainability as you might have. And there are various ways that you can do this. You can go to uh, Winery's website and uh, they'll generally have a sustainability section if it's something that's important to them. Um, or look to see if they might be certified sustainable. Uh, it's something that we've been certified sustainable since 2010. Um, and that's for our overall vineyard and winery practices. But also on many of our bottles of wine, we have product certification. So if you look on the back, you'll see a little circle says certified California sustainable. And that means that the wine in that bottle, first of all, came from 100% California vineyards. Um, from 100% um, um, uh, certified winery. And then at least 85% of the grapes um, came from a certified sustainable vineyard. Uh, so that way you know that your choice is making a difference uh, for the environment, for the community at large and uh, just embed sustainability in everything that you do. It becomes a fun little game, really, as to how you can make your life and the lives of all around you a better place to be. Thank you for that, Steve. I learned, I learned something new about how I should be looking at my, my wine. And you know, I think this balance that you lift up of our individual choice as consumers, our own practices and decisions, but also how we use our purchasing power to make sure we're supporting and uplifting businesses that have truly embedded this work into their operations. So thank you for sharing all of the knowledge that you that you shared today. I learned a lot um, and just thank you for the work that you are doing at JLOR to move sustainability and the wine industry forward and appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Oh my gosh, Rachel. Well, thank you so much. I so enjoyed our time together. appreciate our loyal impact report listeners and hope you can help us spread the word about the series and the important sustainability work of our guests please rate and review the impact report wherever you listen to podcasts and if you were inspired by this conversation share a screenshot on instagram and tag impact report podcast
topics discussed in today's episode by visiting jlore.com. That's J-L-O-H-R.com. And be sure to head to greenbiz.com or impactentrepreneur.com to read a recap of our conversation. Friday, June 24th, we'll be speaking with Paul Shapiro of the Better Meat Company. Interested in learning how you can launch a high-impact, purpose-driven career in sustainability? Check out the resources page from the Bard Graduate Programs in Sustainability for access to free resources to jumpstart your career. Hear from leaders in the fields of climate change, consulting, impact finance, circular economy, and more about how they've launched their careers and the tips they have for you to join their industries. Visit gps.bard.edu resources today.